Hi, my name is Stephen Marsh, and I'm here today with Dr. Alf Ornes, uh, recipient of the Faila Memorial Lecture at uh, Radiation Research Society's 2015 meeting in Weston, Florida. Thanks for coming on with me today, Dr. Alfornes. Thank you. Um, uh, I was hoping that you could tell me a little bit about your uh, award and the uh, involvement that you've had with Radiation Research Society. Well, as far as Radiation Research Society, I started in research very young. I got out of uh, school at an earlier age than most. And I think the first Radiation Research Society I, meeting I went to was in 1977. And so I've been going continually since the early 80s. So I've been interacting with the society for many, many years. Um, as far as the award goes, it's sort of a, I guess you'd have to check with members of the society, but I sort of view it as a lifetime career type of uh, recognition award. And um, so I was the recipient this year. And uh, you take it from there. Sure. Um, have you uh, had any other interaction with uh, previous uh, award winners? Um, have you had any Faila Award uh, talks that you particularly remember or enjoyed? Well, no, I've been to multiple Faila uh, Award talks, um, and uh, I think uh, all of them have been you know, interesting, and they've sort of uh, shown the value of the work that the people did. And um, uh, as far as interacting with the society, I'm on council now. I've been uh, on the uh, program committee planning the program for the next meeting. I'm on it for, this, for next year coming up, but I would say I, I've been on these committees at, at least 10 plus times over the years. And I've also had other interactions with the society. So uh, yeah, I've been interacting with the society. I know the other Folila uh, um, uh, um, uh, awardees. Uh, I've, uh, very uh, friendly and I've interacted with both the current president and past presidents. Excellent. Uh, the talk that you gave was uh, a pretty comprehensive view on the history and uh, current work of radiation stress signaling. Yes. Uh, can you uh, gi give us a little bit about uh, your involvement in that history? You don't have to go into great detail because I know it was a great talk. Well, thank you. Um, as far as the history goes, I'll just go back to ancient history. Um, molecular biology was still in the developmental stages back in the 1980s. And the problem was that the protein and the RNA level, you could see changes. You could see how the cell would turn on genes, make RNA, make proteins uh, to certain stresses, such as heat shock. So the heat shock proteins were very commonly known. But in the case of genotoxic stress, namely damage by ionizing radiation, UV, such as sunburn and the like, chemical agents, there wasn't a lot of evidence in uh, eukaryotes, namely anything but bacteria, that th these, such, these responses actually occurred. And, uh, but in bacteria, Graham Walker and others, as I highlighted in my talk, had shown that there are a variety of genes turned on, particularly ones involved in DNA repair and growth control, growth arrest. And so what we did early on was to ask, could we see such responses in mammalian cells? And so that's, in fact, what we did. We developed, uh, at the time, a sort of a high-end uh, um, approach that w was able to enrich for transcripts that, we, that one couldn't see uh, with the current technology, couldn't detect that they were going up. 
And so that's what we did. We pulled out a variety of interesting genes. And uh, at the same time, there was others that were developing high-resolution 2D gels, such as Dave Boothman, who's in the society, and Michael Karen with per Peter Hurlick. And uh, they were seeing some of the same things. And so really in the mid to late 80s, it became apparent that there was a rich, relatively complicated, rich response to these you know, DNA-damaging agents, you know, such as ionizing radiation. And so the field has just sort of exploded since then. Excellent. Uh, I know that your recent work has been involved with uh, finding the pathways and uh, identifying the uh, cellular responses based on uh, the metabolites that have been uh, passed through or into this system's um, right. different system compartments. Um, could you tell us about the metabolomics work that you're doing now? Well, I think that much of what we did, even if you go back to our early hybridization subtraction work that I referred to earlier, much of what we did was dependent on technology developments, and uh, such as uh, the development of transgenic mice, uh, knockout approaches, uh, refinements in molecular biology, and then with the omics where you could look at everything at one level, for example, all the RNA or all the DNA in a cell, the so-called omic technologies. And so the genomics is well, and we're now in the post-genomic era since the genome, many genomes have been sequenced. So the genomics is relatively mat mature. The transcriptomics is relatively mature, namely the RNA. Uh, proteomics has been around for, for a while, and it's a fairly well-developed omic area. The metabolomics, which was initially developed by uh, Jeremy Nicholson, uh, well, it's been developed by others, but he's really one of the leaders in the field. Uh, and he had been pushing for it for some time, but what really turned on the field and really caused an explosion of interest in the field was the uh, development of these high-end uh, mass spectrometry approaches, which really came online about 10 years ago. And uh, I teamed up with Frank Gonzalez at NCI uh, about 10 years ago, uh, and uh, we were able to show some responses to um, uh, cells and, and in mice after radiation. And so uh, Frank's team and his collaborators and, and I um, uh, have been working ever since. When I moved to Georgetown in 2006, uh, Tony Trucillo, who was the Cancer Center Director at the time, uh, was able to provide some support from uh, uh, a donor who had left a large chunk of money in their will. And we were able to get one of the first um, of these high-end mass specs, these time-of-flight mass specs, at Georgetown in 2007. So we sort of got a jump on others in the field you know, with this capability. Uh, there are now many really first-rate places throughout the country, uh, Gary Schustek and uh, uh, Scripps, um, Oliver Fien at UC Davis, uh, 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 members of my lab and Frank's lab have gone on, such as Andrew Patterson, to set up their own operations, Clary Klisch at the Broad. Uh, so I think that the, uh, I guess you could, compared to many of the omic, other omic technologies, the metabolomics is really the new kid on the block. And I think there's interest both from a funding standpoint from the grant agencies as well as trying to figure out, you know, we're seeing all these changes in these genes and these RNAs and these proteins. What's happening in the physiology of the cell? What happens to energy metabolism? What happens to glucose levels? What happens to uh, um, uh, small molecules involved in in, uh, in um, uh, a signaling and cell death and other responses. And so with these metabolomic approaches, we are now able to look at them and 
and start assessing them in, in a sort of a broad level rather than just having to focus down on one metabolite, which we've been able to do for, for some time now. The other advantage of metabolomics is that you, you, to measure thousands of metabolo metabolites, you need uh, fairly high-end mass spec capability. But on the other hand, once you've identified, let's say, a, a small set of them, let's say a handful, let's say just 10 or, or so, uh, at that point, you don't need this, you know, very expensive uh, laboratory-based approaches. And there are approaches, and we've been working with some of our collaborators to develop approaches where, for a limited number of metabolites, you could use more simple clinical, clinical chemistry approaches. And so that would have advantages, for example, if there was a radiation accident or a, a terrorist event of some sort, people needed to be assessed for radiation injury. Uh, it could also be also used to assess response to radiotherapy or chemotherapy. Uh, there's also major changes in the metabolism of cancer cells compared to um, uh, uh, benign or, or non-cancer normal cells. So I think that you know whatever we looked at at the RNA and the protein levels uh, uh, or or phys different phys uh, uh, different cell parameter levels, we can now look at at the metabolite level. So as I tried to bring up in the ELA talk, is I think the, the key thing is to, is to sort this out and eventually develop sort of an integrated approach where we have an understanding not of individual pathways, which is the first step, but of the whole network, which is quite complex as, as, as I think we all know at this point. Sure, sure. Well, I, I really appreciate you talking with me today. Um, I have one thing for you. I uh, was able to get a picture of the most famous cancer researchers in the world, in which uh, biophysicist Giancolo Faila is uh, among, among them. And uh, with this award, you are now um, in this great group of uh, <laughs> cancer researchers, and you're doing great work. I, I really appreciate your time. OK. Well, thank you. Thank you.